Anyway, so I have the privilege today of introducing today's speaker. I have so much respect and regard for her. She's my wife, and uh, she's been uh, a pastor here for many years, but now she is not. She is um, uh, doing her Master's of Theology at Union Seminary, and she has taken it taken to it like duck to a water. Like she's won a couple of awards already. She's doing very well. And she's learned a lot. And she tells me things and it's just mind blowing what she's learning. And she's going to be talking today about one of those uh, topics. And it's going to be really great. So would you please welcome Caroline. <laughs> Thank you, Charles. Um, I would like it to be a little higher. Yes, that would be great. Good morning, everyone. That was a nice introduction, right? He may be a bit biased. Um, it's good to be here. Uh, last time I spoke, there was about, I don't know, four people. <laughs> In this room, it was right uh, when the Omicron was coming back. Um, it's, it's good to see you, um, all your faces in person. So as some of you know, I grew up in Korea, and I came to the U.S. as, a, as an adult to attend uh, graduate school. So the transition was um, difficult. I can describe it as a culture shock. I came to go to actually business school. So the Korean culture, there's American culture, and there's American business school culture. That was quite a bit of a transition for me. The language was difficult, but it's more than that. It's a new context. There are assumptions that the culture, you know, have that other outsiders are not really private to. Common understanding. It's sometimes baffling. Like cafeteria, it's always very stressful. It's loud, it's rushed, and you, you raise wrath when you hold the line. Um, and then these fast questions would be thrown at me, white wheat or rye. And that would be completely, it would just make no sense whatsoever to me, even if I understood what each three little, uh, words meant. White what? Right? Because where I came from, bread is bread, and nobody asks that kind of questions. <laughs> Rice, on the other hand. <laughs> so over time, I became more uh, used to the culture, the custom, and the language. But the US does not allow uh, someone who looks like me to become really comfortable, to become fully integrated with. And the anti-Asian hate crimes that uh, rose significantly during COVID reminded me of that. I'm still seen as an outsider in the US. And now having lived, in, it lived here more than 20 years, um, I don't feel quite at home in Korea either. So um, I belong to both places, 
and no place at the same time. A Cuban-American theologian who had to flee Cuba, um, his name is Justo Gonzalez, he described migration experience as a life in which one is forced to revolve around a center that is not one's own. And many of you can probably relate to this feeling. There is the center that you're, you're left out of, but you still need to revolve around it. Immigrants or the children of immigrants can probably, probably relate. And to a lesser degree, if you move from just different parts of the country where the culture is very different, you may feel um, similarly. If you're a person of color, you can feel like you're seen as the other no matter how long your people have lived in the US. If you're a sexual minority, if you're a non-binary person, if you're differently abled, the list goes on. You might be familiar with the feeling of being on the margin, away from the center. Yeah, anyone relate to that? So today I want to talk about a biblical character who was also on the margin. Traditionally, this story, she is seen as a side character in a story of main characters in a side plot, a digression from the main storyline. And her name is Hagar. You will remember the famous, the main characters of the Bible, Abram and Sarah, the couple. And the Bible tells us the story where when Abraham was 75 years old and Sarah 74, they answer God's calling and begin their journey to go to the land of Canaan. That's their whole, whole uh, faith journey. The little caveat is that they were childless. They did not have any children, but God promised them they'll have numerous descendants and they go on this journey. After a long wait, they eventually received the promised child in their old age when Abram was 100 years old and Sarah 99 years old. But they weren't always hopeful about receiving a child through Sarah, understandably. So about 10 years into their journey, they try to have an heir through a slave woman, Hagar. So today's story comes from there. Genesis 16. Um, so uh, there's a story there. Sarah, Sarah and Abram is um, Sarah and Abraham's names before God gave them the new names. So let me read. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bore him no children. She had an Egyptian slave girl whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, you see that the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my slave girl. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, 
Sarai, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her slave girl, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as a wife. She, he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived Hagar, she looked with contempt on her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my slave girl to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, your slave girl is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she ran away from her. So that went off the rail pretty quickly, right? So from the outset of the story, we're told that Hagar is an Egyptian slave girl. She's an, she's an Egyptian, a racial minority in the household of the Hebrews in the land of Canaan. It's complicated. She's also a slave, considered a property. She was not a human being, no rights, no decision-making power, no dignity. Remember, Sarai took and gave her to Abram. It was, there was no consent. And she, a woman in the male-centric patriarchal society. So Hagar is at the very bottom of the social hierarchy. She's a nobody. So naturally, in many traditional interpretations, especially as Christians who consider Abram and Sarah as our spiritual ancestors, not Hagar. This story of Hagar is considered a side plot, a cautionary tale of what not to do. She's often maligned as arrogant, insolent, a temptress, a threat to true faith. Even St. Uh, Paul um, in the New Testament hints that. So as Christians, we tend to see the Bible as a connected narrative that starts with the creation, Adam and Eve, through the line of Abraham and Sarah, and Jesus. Right? It's a story of salvation, so to speak. And it is a helpful way to understand the Bible in many ways. However, this does not mean that God moves in a linear fashion and God's life comes through this line only. God is everywhere and life flows from any places if only we will receive and we have the eyes to see. In our hyper-individualistic, performance-oriented culture, we're trained to see life as one linear narrative with main characters, the heroes who save the world, and the, you know, the side characters for the comic reliefs. I mean, you've seen this movie, right? 
But this kind of seeing leads us to disregard characters like Hagar, to overlooking and devaluing people who we deem as side characters, those who are on the margin. And it's even when we ourselves live on the margin in many ways. Because this is more than a question of empathy. Do we care about those on the margin? I think most of us do. But, and even identify with them. We're one of them. Yet, often it is a question of our vision. Do we see them? We often don't and end up missing God's, God's spirit at work. Because we assume that there is this line. But this linear progression of history is not an accurate perception of reality. As progress theology asserts, which I've talked about here, every being, you and me, each one of us, is in constant interaction with one another, even this moment. Choosing and acting and becoming every moment. Life does not flow neatly from A to B to C, but in clusters, in multiple directions, like interconnected webs, like rhizomatic roots. In process theology, God doesn't dictate and control what happens, but God invites and lets us choose. Like this um, rhizomatic network that apparently is our reality. Have anybody watched Fantastic Fungi? <laughs> we don't go from one A to B to C. But there are all these connections that we made and things move in multiple directions back and forth and, and we can't quite see other than they're all interconnected and complex that where these influences in life flow from and end up. And interestingly, though we have the tendency to ignore Hagar or characters like Hagar, Hagar's story itself does not dismiss Hagar as a side character. It does the opposite and it zooms in on Hagar. So let's read the rest. Genesis 16, 7. The angel of the Lord found her. So remember, she ran away into the wilderness. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave girl of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will so greatly multiply your offspring that they cannot be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, now you have conceived and shall bear a son. You shall call him Ishmael. For the Lord has given heed to your affliction. He shall be a wild ass of a man with his hand against everyone. 
and everyone's hand against him, and he shall live at odds with all his kin. So she named Lord. She, she named the Lord who spoke to her, You are El Roy. For she said, Have I really seen God and remained alive after seeing him? Therefore the well was called Bir Lathai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Barad. Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named him named his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was eighty-six years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. So the second half of the story is all about Hagar. God draws close to Hagar, and God meets her. Hagar actually in the Bible has not one but two divine encounters recorded. And today's story is the first one of the two. It says, the angel of the Lord found her. Hagar is the first woman in the Bible to receive an annunciation, a divine announcement of her child's birth. Now you have conceived and shall bear a son. You shall call him Ishmael. Hagar is the only person in the Bible, man or woman, to name God. She was a theologian. So she named the Lord who spoke to her, you are El Roy. And what that means, we'll discuss that a little bit later. And there's more. When we read closely in, in, in the original Hebrew, the story itself keeps drawing our attention to Hagar's point of view, to see through her eyes. Let me explain. The original Hebrew in the original text, the seeing motif is very obvious. Within the 16 verses that I read, there are six words that are derived from the same Hebrew root, ra'a, which means to see. Um, you can show the, they're um, highlighted in Red, you could see. You could just go through the yeah. And there are um, there's another word, ayin, um, which is it. It can mean both the uh, both an eye, human eye or animal's eye, and the spring of water. They actually are the same word. It can just um, depends on the context. Means different things. It appears five times. So when Hagar met God at the spring in the wilderness, the symbolism is thick. And um, where am I? And in almost all of these cases, Hagar, it's Hagar who sees. For example, when she saw that she was pregnant, Sarah became small in her eyes. It's, that's the more um, literal translation of the Hebrew rather than um, she had contempt on Sarah. It actually means she, Sarah became small in Hagar's eyes. So in short, the story repeatedly tells us how Hagar sees things, what her experience is. So in, regarding today's story, let's pay attention to Hagar's point of view not Abraham and Sarah today. 
What is Hagar's experience? First of all, Hagar is someone in a position of no power, exploited and abused by Abram and Sarah. Let's be clear about that. Traditionally, the story is understood as Abram and Sarah's spiritual failure. They did not trust in God's promise and tried to fix their situation of being childless with their human effort and rushed it instead of waiting on God. That's why it went wrong. That's quite understandable my point of view, from my point of view, since by the time Abram and Sarah, um, by this time the story happened, they were 86 and 85 years old. So we can understand the you know, disbelief. But a bigger, much bigger issue is that the story represents their moral failure. Their disregard for Hagar as a human being their exploitation of her body for their own purposes and abuse of her when things don't go their way. The English translation says Sarai dealt harshly with her. This Hebrew used here is the same word used to describe Israelites suffering as slaves in Egypt. It's an interesting reversal of the story. And she was harsh enough to drive the pregnant Hagar into the wilderness where she doesn't know if she could survive. Yes, it was a different world back then, different culture. And they probably, maybe, didn't think they were doing something wrong. There were other instances where people did these things. Nevertheless, it was wrong. Their ignorance did not lessen Hagar's suffering. And even the messenger of God, who really is God in human form, says, for the Lord has given heed to your affliction. God saw and empathized with Hagar's pain. Secondly, Hagar was someone with many overlapping and conflicting identities, right? She's an Egyptian who lives in the Hebrew household in the land of Canaan. She's an immigrant. She's also a slave who becomes the wife of Abram. Then she becomes an expectant mother to Abram's heir. But she's also a surrogate mother who's pregnant with Sarah's child. Can you see how confusing this all must have been for Hagar? And Hagar responds to these changing circumstances when she realizes that she is pregnant with the patriarch's child. She sees and assesses her place in the hierarchy. So Sarah becomes smaller and she becomes bigger. The story says, um, yeah, she became small in her eyes. She thinks maybe she could leverage this, and um, which, who can blame her? 
her desire to be liberated? Can we say that, well, if only she behaved, she wouldn't have been abused? Does this justify how Abram and Sarah treated her? No. So Hagar is driven into the wilderness by Sarah's abuse, sanctioned by Abram. In the wilderness, she comes upon a spring on the way to Shur. Shur is at the border of Egypt. So she maybe was running away toward Egypt. So the wilderness is, if you can... Um, visualize it, between Abraham's house and Egypt, her native land. It's between slavery and freedom. It's between physical provision, some kind of security, and harsh elements and uncertainty that could kill her. She's between a surrogacy and motherhood. The wilderness is a metaphorical and literal liminal space, an in-between space for Hagar. And this is where God meets her. God asks, where have you come from and where are you going? This is not an easy question to answer. How would you answer this question for your own life? Where have you come from? Where are you going? God asked. Hagar can think only about survival at this point. She answers, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. She's in a liminal space. She's stuck. She doesn't quite know who she is, what she wants, where, what she's going to do. Here, God meets her and tells her that she will have many descendants. It's a very Abrahamic promise that God gives to Hagar. And, she, and God says that God has seen and heard her, for the Lord has given heed to your affliction. And let's imagine the scene. Here she is, Hagar, is abused by two God-fearing Hebrews. And the Hebrew God shows up. At least that's how the story tells us. The Hebrew God shows up and meets her. And instead of punishing her from running away, God validates her suffering. Hagar may not know who she is herself here, but God shows her that God cares and that she matters. She is seen and heard and known. Now, through God's seeing, Hagar sees too. She reassesses God and later, after the interaction, names God. You are El Roy. El Roy means, El means God, and Roy comes from that seeing uh, verb, it can mean three different things. It could be God of seeing, God who sees me, or God of my seeing. They're all grammatically correct. Isn't that crazy? And it's probably intended to mean all three. 
God sees me and I see God. It's a, it's a meeting, it's an encounter. It also implies that God is God of seeing. God enables seeing. God gives new vision. Hagar goes on and says why she named God El Roy. For she said, have I really seen God and remained alive after seeing him? Or, or in a different uh, version, did I not go on seeing here after him who sees me? The verse comes with a little footnote that says, meaning not clear. So this sentence is famously difficult to understand. So different translations have different takes on it. Sometimes new words are inserted there to make it um, sound kind of smooth. So there's no way to know exactly what the author intended, what it's supposed to mean. But there are many meaning potentials here in this one sentence. And my take on it is, do I also see here after the seeing? And this is almost a literal translation. It could mean that Hagar is commenting on her new vision. Hagar and God seeing each other, this encounter has so profoundly altered her perception of the world that it is like she's seeing for the first time. Do I also see here like God sees? She perhaps now sees herself as God sees her, even though the world tells her that she is worthless. She sees God differently. And perhaps God is not the God of the oppressors. God is the God of seeing, God of life. She sees her past and future differently. She now can choose. And God, for some reason, tells her to go back to the slave owner's house. And the prophecy given for Ishmael's life might sound negative in our modern ears. But it, that's a different um, day's topic. I don't want to, you know, go on here. But it, it's not. It's actually, it's a legitimate blessing. And God, for some reason, tells her to go back and submit to Sarai. And black women theologians have speculated that um, perhaps going back to Abraham's house gave her and the, her unborn child the best chance at survival. Perhaps. And this leads to the later story where Hagar and her son Ishmael are now kicked out because Sarah gave the birth to the, um, the legitimate heir. So now they're kicked out of Abraham's house and they survive after the second divine encounter in the wilderness, which I can I don't have time to talk about. Ask me questions if you're curious. But whatever the meaning behind God's encouragement to go back and submit to Sarah, it's Hagar who chooses to go back with her newfound vision and her journey with God continues from here. So what does this mean for all of us? 
I will briefly explain, give two practical suggestions, and then we'll take a few minutes to reflect. First is to challenge your vision. I'd like us to challenge our vision. How do we see the world? Do you see the world in linear lines like this? Or as an interconnected complex web of relations? Are you able to recognize yourself, your place, your role in it, your influences and your connections? Does your vision of the world include outsiders and marginalized communities as agents and players in the story of God? Do you see yourself as an agent and a player in the story of God? My second suggestion is to embrace your wilderness. Are there ways in which you are in the wilderness? Ways in which you are an outsider, left out of the center, feeling lost and unseen and not knowing where to turn. Embrace it because God meets you there. That's where we receive vision, new vision. That's where we hear the voice of God. It is there that God asks you, where have you come from? And where are you going? How would you answer it? And what does God say about it? I'm going to wrap up here, but we'll spend a few minutes reflecting on these questions. Where have you come from? And where are you going? God, I pray that you meet us here. <laughs>